This is the Talking Pictures podcast presented by the Film and Photography Society at UCLA. Today we'll be talking about Saltburn, directed by Emerald Fennell. But first, a brief introduction of our hosts and a little bit about themselves in the form of their favorite movie. Hi everyone, I'm Kyle Walsh. My favorite movie is The Handmaiden, uh, directed by Park Chan-wook, and it shares a similar theme uh, to Saltburn, so it's You'll see. <laughs> Hi, everyone. I'm Brandon. You might have heard me on the last Talking Pictures, the 2023 year in review. Where I talked about my favorite movie is uh, Babylon, directed by Damon Chazelle, or it's either True Romance, uh, 1993, Tony Scott. I, depending on the day, it's either those answers. So my favorite movie, basic bitch answer, Lady Bird, Greta Gerwig. I just relate very heavily to that movie. Also, I also just love The Squid and the Whale, Noah Baumbach. I think it's a really beautiful story about divorce. What's your name? I already said my name's Ashley. <laughs> Didn't I know it? My name's I don't Ashley. Think so. My name's Ashley. <laughs> um, and my name is Alexandra. And I think it's hard for me to pick favorites always, but I think one of my top favorites is Fantastic Mr. Fox by Wes Anderson. Oh, I just love that movie and the cast is stacked. But awesome. Okay, cool. So thank you guys again for coming. But because there's so much to cover with Saltburn, I suggest that we dive right in. This is also a great time to mention to the listeners that there will be spoilers and lots of them. So be warned, go watch the movie, be shocked and surprised and amazed, and then come back. But I thought, what a better way to start us off this Saltburn discussion than with unofficial logline from the world-renowned IMDb. So, (laughs) Ashley, care to do the honors? A student at Oxford University finds himself drawn into the world of a charming and aristocratic classmate who invites him to his eccentric family's sprawling estate for a summer never to be forgotten. I think it's a beautiful logline, but I also think a more accurate one is... There's this guy named Oliver, and he gets so obsessed with Jacob Elordi that he goes on a sexual <laughs> rampage. But, like, we can debate that, and I think that's what we're here for. So I guess to start us <laughs> for this really cool conversation, if you guys had to summarize Saltburn, for the listeners out there, I know there's a lot, but if you had to, what would you say? What is your own logline of this movie? Alex, you're giving me, like... 25 seconds to summarize. Uh, (laughs) uh, um, Okay. Uh, I would say my personal logline would be um, not all is as it seems when a studious and nerdy schoolboy enters a world which he knows nothing about of the rich and famous lives of those that he adores. Something like that, you know? Like, no, that was that was great for being put on amazing. the spot. <laughs> Brandon, how about you? What do you what do you think? Yeah, I wouldn't even talk about the characters. I would just say this is a movie <laughs> with some disgusting scenes, some sexy scenes, and some scenes that make your eyes pop out of your head. And that's about mm-hmm. it. Yeah, definitely the most reactionary film of the year. I would say my jaw was dropped most of the time at the theater not because i mean there were some very shocking moments but it was just more of they really put that in there for that long like i very very cuckoo bananas but i loved every minute of 
my gosh. Well, it seems like we're already talking about like the super crazy fun stuff in Saltburn. And we could touch on different things like the aesthetics and themes and whatever later. But I think might as well talk about these scenes. And there are a lot of these scenes in them. So Ashley, care to mention some crazy scenes? So the most talked about scenes of this film are definitely the infamous bathtub scene, which I went into this movie blind and I still heard that there was going to be something with the bathtub. And then I was definitely surprised when I saw that bathtub (laughs) to the point where they even created a mug merchandise for Saltburn. And if you, at the bottom of the mug, it is a drain. It's crazy. Um, Also, the good thing I'm a vampire scene and also the fuck the grave literally (laughs) scene that was improv okay barry that was improvised did y'all know that yeah Yeah. yes we're a close set and i'm just kind of like wow that's that's what you came up with (laughs) like out of everything you could have done in that moment you wanted to do that (laughs) <laughs> but hey, I mean, Barry's a little freak guy, so I just let him do what he does. He's but... a little freaky freak. Oh, he man. is. And we saw all of him in this film. Let's be so real. <laughs> yes. Alex, do you want to talk about the honorable mentions that are discussed? Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, see, I, I kind of like, because we're putting everything on the table right now. Right. And then we'll just like pick what we can because there's just so much. But yeah. Oh my gosh. Like, the murder on the dance floor. I know we're jumping to the very end, but we saw mm-hmm. all of Barry. Also, that's him. That's not a prosthetic. No prosthetic PP in sight. Good for him. Good for him. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. I saw it and I was like, respect. Good for um, <laughs> gag. And right. Um, so that was a crazy one. But even just like the stuff with Farley, or like even when he goes back to his parents house let me just say that scene might have made me more uncomfortable than some of the more sexually explicit scenes but we'll talk about that um i wanted to kind of just like ask any of y'all give y'all the floor like out of any of these crazy moments like what what were you, what did you feel in the theater like what are your, what did you feel what are your thoughts now i'd say that i did find the twist at the end kind of predictable but the only part that actually shocked me was when they showed him putting the tack in the bike wheel in mm. Jacob Louis' bag row. That, I was like, oh, I was like, he planned this whole thing out. Like the money in the <laughs> wallet, I could have, you kind of could have guessed that. But the the popping the bike wheel, that that scene really got me when I was in the theater. Mm-hmm. He thought about it so far ahead. Like that little freak. <laughs> yeah, I remember seeing like the popping of the tack and then... In my head, yeah, same like with Brenda was saying, like the after seeing that, like everything else fall, like the the dominoes falling just makes so much sense. Like the money thing, the discussions, and then, I, oh my god, it was just so icky. It was just so icky <laughs> to see all of that happen. So like, so planned and thought out and like methodized. And, eh. Yeah, I think so much of the movie for me was like dictated by the audience that I saw it with. Like, I went to see this movie twice, actually. (laughs) Once, actually a couple months before it came out. And everyone there was like dead silent. Like the whole movie, like nobody made any reactions. Everybody was just like calmly watching whatever happened on the screen. And- Did they see the same thing? 
Yeah. <laughs> and it, that one was so interesting because, like, it seemed like everybody was, like, looking at the cinematography, like, whatever, you know, like, all these people who got to the early screenings while I was, like, sitting there, like, crying uh, <laughs> from what I was watching. Um, and then the second time I saw it, everyone was, like, screaming at the screen. Like, somebody literally threw something when he was, like, licking up the bathtub water. Anyways, um, so I think, like the crowd really dictated my saltburn experience and the the sh- most shocking scene absolutely was the grave scene watching that in a dead silent theater was the most uncomfortable experience <laughs> of my year so <laughs> you yeah. think the grave scene was bad for you i saw saltburn uh opening day so like november like i think 16th or 17th and yeah. it was like a noon showing so there was like 10 of us in the theater so it was oh. dead silent the whole time <laughs> oh, it was no. just so awkward and out of everyone like there was a lady in the theater she had the seat right next to me and yeah. she didn't move i said oh do you want me to move and she was like no it's fine so i'm watching saltburn with this random lady next to me the whole time <laughs> there's like 10 of us in the theater it was such a weird experience that that really shaped the movie for me yeah. like the same way you said the crowd shaped it for you it was just so weird it was so awkward <laughs> that's so crazy so i saw the movie for the first time actually with alexandra and our other roommate and it was a packed theater and we were in the second row like in the dead center and any like the bathtub scene the grave scene everyone in that crowd was just like no fucking way like audibly <laughs> saying like this is not happening and like the whispering next to each other like everyone's mm. fr- like everyone that was in a group just like discussing with their friends and just the pure shock horror of everybody going like and i think when we left the theater alex like so many people just left that theater going like like just the pure shock and like oh my god yeah i remember i had to like i like forced us to sit in our seats for a little bit people were getting up and leaving and i was just like give me a second like i had so much to think about and i was like i what and and i i definitely remember though like when it came to something like the grave scene I don't know if it's just because I'm I'm fine seeing more risky stuff like in movies and television. It it wasn't that everything was so dramatic to me, but I was just I'm not used to seeing it in a media this way. And so like with the grave scene, I was just like, no way. Like there's there's no way. And then there was a way, and Barry found it. And and I think <laughs> I think the shock to me was the fact that. Emerald Fennell was just so crazy to put onto screen something that sickos do, but let's be real, we're all sickos. And so I was just like seeing it with my eyes. I was, ugh, it was wild, but I definitely needed like a moment to process. I find that a lot of times after movies, like I kind of just need to sit in the seat, maybe write my letterbox review and then <laughs> yeah, talk that's in exactly the car. what I did. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. We did a full debrief when we came home. Yeah. I don't know, maybe you guys want to touch on this, but I found it really interesting that, like, the character of Oliver, like, used sex as, like, a tool to, like, get what he wants and, like, get to the top. Didn't kiss Felix at all. Yeah. I think, personally, it was more, like, lust-driven with, you know, Venetia and Farley. But I feel like with Felix, it was admiration that turned into infatuation slash obsession. 
like wanting to not be with him, but just like be him and live this lavish life that he feels like maybe he isn't deserving of or is just purely jealous of, even though later on we find out that he is extremely well off <laughs> and they go to Spain or whatever every year, you know. Something that I'm still questioning is why? <laughs> because he has this affluent life. I mean, not like saltburn affluent, but he's pretty well off. I don't understand why he like wanted to take it that far, maybe. Because he's also, like, the top scholar at Oxford, too. Yeah. I'm like, you're so smart, and you come from an upper-middle-class family. Wait, or did he lie to his parents about that? I think he lied about it. Oh. I think, I think that's what He was what lying to implied, everybody. Right? Like, he was lying to everyone. They said something about... Yeah. yeah. I think he lied to his parents about being a top scholar. Because when he said that, Jacob Lordy's character like looked at him and was like, oh, I bet, and stuff like that. I was like, so I don't yeah. think he was a top scholar. I think his little freak friend at Oxford who ate the candy bar sideways <laughs> was the top right. scholar. Oh, my God. I think that he might have been the top scholar. Behavior. Yeah. Give me a math equation. Give me a math equation. Give me a math equation. That was crazy. I'm, like, picturing Jacob Elordi's face just smiling, listening <laughs> to, like, the parents' stories. Just like, really? That's so great. Like, the cringe no, I felt inside. Really? That's so interesting. That, like, I mean, that was the most uncomfortable thing, I think. Oh, my God, and the drive back home. <laughs> this this may be going slightly off topic, but my first viewing of, of the movie, like, I actually missed that scene. Like, I, I left to use the bathroom for, like, the pretty much entirety of, like, the reveal that his <laughs> parents are alive. So the the first time I watched it, I was, like, a Barry supporter for like the first 90% of the movie, like until he started actually murdering them. I was like, he's a good guy. Like he's just doing it. Uh, like he's just a little freaky, but, but he's a good guy. And so I feel like that scene watching it again made me realize like, I don't know how much I missed the first time, but it was certainly interesting. Cause I feel like without that scene, I don't know. He is a little more gray. Um, mm. But how would you guys rank that scene on uncomfortability level compared to the others? Because I, I, I find that whenever I talk about this film to some people, some people get really, they're either uncomfortable by the things that are very sexual or they're uncomfortable by the things that might seem a little bit more like mundane, but also like secondhand embarrassment related. Mm. And that's kind of in the group that I'm in. Like I was like gripping my seat during this parent conversation. I was like, I can't do it. But then during... Other scenes, like, yeah, the bathtub was crazy, but I was just like, it's Jacob Elordi, I get it. So I, <laughs> I was like, so valid. So how how do you, like, what pool of people do you think you're in? I'm in the mundane one. Like, the parent scene, I think, was the most uncomfortable scene for me, especially just because of the way um, Jacob Elordi was selling like Felix in that at that time, like the look in his eyes and the smile. And I was just like, holy shit. I was like, if Barry doesn't kill Jacob, Jacob's gonna kill him. Like he just looked <laughs> just as insane at that moment that I got scared for Oliver. And I was just like, I can't even tell what's happening anymore. <laughs> like I like I can't even tell where this is going any like at this time. I'm definitely the same. Like the mundane, like it was just that was the most uncomfortable 
thing of the whole film is just like the reveal that everything that he has said to Felix and his entire family has been a complete lie. And then it goes into like, but why lie about it? And like the motives that lead later on. And it was just like, (gasps) I just felt so cringed. It was so bad. I feel like karaoke kind of fits into that pool of stuff too, right? Yeah, I was going to mention that scene. I'm not a fan of the karaoke scene. Or like, I like it, but uh, I think that was, that was definitely the most cringe part for me. I did yeah. like the way Farley owned it, though. When oh, absolutely. Oliver was like, this is your song. And Farley just was like, okay. And just started singing. I was like, okay. I, I kind of yeah. like the way he just was like, yeah, sure. I really and not only like singing it, it. Yeah, like Farley killed that. Farley can sing. Yeah, he definitely did. It looked like it. Like, he was moving all around the room with, like, his long, archy legs. I was like, yeah, he, he's got this. <laughs> um. So we've definitely talked about some of the more gripping parts of this film but i was wondering if there were any other themes that you may have found while watching this film maybe even after watching it a second time like where one may go to get what you want or something like that if anyone wants to touch on any themes that they found uh one theme i didn't actually come up with this myself i saw someone like talking about the movie on twitter and they were talking about how the movie could be seen more from Felix's perspective or just from all of the family that lives at Saltburn's perspective as like the elite's fear of upwardly mobile middle-class people coming to take their spots. So it's like flipped it from like the parasite point of view where it's like, no, the poor people should take it. It made it like, no, the rich people should keep their money because look, he's going to kill everybody just to get what we have. So I was like, oh, that's an interesting way to look at the movie that I really liked. That's really cool. I mean, that's not cool. Murder's not cool. But that's a very interesting perspective on it, for sure. Okay, this is more like getting into the aesthetics of the movie, but... um, Let's do it. I think the way that they present the body and, like, a lot of movies that have, like, very explicit sexual scenes or themes in them are often more about, like, presenting the body in, like, a naturalistic way. So, like, not to be embarrassed about like body differences. Like obviously all the people in this movie are hot. Like (laughs) we're not going to get around that. But like the fact that they kind of portray them almost as like, like sculptures, like it's, it's artistic in the way that they present the human body. Like there's, there's another movie I really, really enjoy called Beau Travail, which is essentially a bunch of men in the French military go out to the desert. And it's all about like putting their bodies on display and like showing how, the human body is like the way that we connect to the earth. And I think that Saltburn shows the way that the human body is how we connect to each other. And like, though it is about murder and (laughs) all these crazy things, I think like art really is about the body at the end of the day. And the human experience ties back to the way that we relate to our body and the way that we use our body. And obviously that includes like a sexual aspect. So that was a convoluted way to say that like, I think there really is a deeper purpose to like these sexual images and like these scenes because there's something like very beautiful about them and like about not being embarrassed and like being provocative and risque and yeah. Anyways. (laughs) Well, I definitely agree. I love that take. And I think 
I, I found it funny that a lot of people came out of this movie kind of solely focusing on the things that were sexual or maybe a little bit more graphic. And I, I found it so interesting because, yes, the scenes are really intense, but also people have gotten eaten out on their period before. We just see it now. Yeah. Or like people are freaks and maybe some would fuck a grave or that's kind of similar to like if someone has maybe like a photo of a loved one like some like people kiss them you know um, and yeah. so though this is like shows it in the extreme and in a very like beautiful aesthetic way like it's still something that a lot of people do or have thought about doing um and yeah I think I, I just appreciated the rawness of this film that maybe not everyone like saw because all they could see was the sex you know what i mean and i think the sex conversation with Saltburn was just timing because right when it like came out on streaming poor things um was in the theater which like the whole controversy with poor things is like all the uh sex scenes so i think at that moment in time people were just focused on sex in movies and then like um mm. The um, FK Twigs, like Calvin Klein ad in England got banned. Like, I think sex, like in that, this last like month just became like a big deal. And I think that's why the Saltburn discourse got dominated by people focusing on strictly those things. And I also think it was just such a, it became a blockbuster hit because of streaming. And I think a lot of people aren't used to seeing that kind of stuff in movies ended up seeing it. Because I was talking to my friend who's a really big horror film fan. And he was like, if I showed these people that thought Saltburn was crazy a racer head, they might start crying. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I was like, you know what? You're probably right. So I think it was just, it became such a bigger hit than Amazon and MGM were planning for it to be. And that dominated the conversation. Yeah. Cool. Well, I was mentioned a little bit earlier, Kyle, you talked about aesthetics. And I definitely would love to touch on this because. Even from the trailer, I remember just being in the theater, watching another movie, can't even remember, and then the Saltburn trailer came up, and I don't know if you guys seen it, but it's like when it spells Saltburn and all the letters change from yellow to red to blue, and it was, and I saw the aspect ratio, and I, I loved how it looked and how it was filmed. So if you guys have any thoughts on that, I'd love, I'd love to hear what you think about the aesthetics of Saltburn, and that can relate to like production design, cinematography, editing, anything. I thought this was definitely a beautiful film. In a lot of interviews with Emerald, she really mentions that this is a period piece, but it takes place in 2007. That's scary that 2007 (laughs) is a period piece now. But I thought just like even with the soundtrack, the wardrobe, the eyebrow piercing, the smoking in the bar, because she said that that was the last year that you're able to smoke inside of a bar in England was 2007. So she really tried to do that. And I thought that it was perfectly executed. I like I'm still listening to the playlist to this day, like the soundtrack of that movie. I think the aspect ratio fit also very perfectly. And yeah, I'm a big art department girl. I love hair and makeup. So I thought that like everything that Venetia was doing, like the indie grunge 2007 thing was just perfect for the time in England in 2007. What I was going to say is very different from like hair and makeup. It was about the um, cinematography 
um, the cinematographer, uh, Linus, I don't want to, he's like European. So I don't want to like mispronounce like his last name, but I think he's like Swedish or something. But he also shot La La Land and he also shot Babylon. So right away, I was like, I knew some of these shots and I was like, then I looked it up after and I was like, this makes perfect sense. This guy is so good at what he does. And so I think I instantly just fell in love with the uh, cinematography because two of my favorite movies ever use the same guy. I mean, I think with cinematography, I think what jumped out to me was especially like shadows. I mean, the scene with Farley, like in the bedroom, like essentially being black and white through the use of just like the moonlight filtering in through the curtains, I thought was gorgeous. Like, I thought that scene was one of the most beautiful ones in the entire movie. And like, I will briefly return to my aesthetics of the body conversation to mention like a lot of the mirror shots, like when Barry Keegan would like have his like back, uh, just like, I don't know, that man was like too muscular and like, it would just be like rippling in front of a mirror. And like, all you can concentrate is just on like the musculature. It's like, I don't know. I mentioned it before, but it's, it's just like a statue. And like, when they're all laying out in the grass, just like completely naked. I don't know, like something about it is very freeing. And, and I think the large landscape and the cinematography, like the wide open spaces of Saltburn really promote the like young, wild and free feeling <laughs> until they're dead. But yeah. I also thought it was interesting how like in this big house, castle, it's both. Um, in Saltburn, they still found places to be cozy, which I also thought was interesting. Like it felt like it, the, okay. So how I see this film sort of is like Oliver is, is craving something more, right? But with the family that lives at Saltburn with the Cattons, like the, all they've had is more. And so kind of what they're looking for is like, intimacy and, and smallness in some spaces so like even the room where they do karaoke or where they're watching what movie are they watching oh my gosh it's a comedy. super bad super bad yeah super bad super bad <laughs> yeah like even when they're watching super bad like they still found like a little living room space um and i thought that was interesting that like emerald was able to sort of like balance these two classes and maybe how you always a little crave a little bit something on the other side um but yeah oh, oh my gosh oh, I just remembered the party that that was crazy at yeah. the end I was like thinking of aesthetics and then I remembered the shot of Venetia's back with like the spider gem on the dress mm -hmm. and then I was like the party like I didn't even touch on the party yet wow <laughs> my favorite scene in the whole movie was uh in the party with um, when they're singing happy birthday to Oliver and no one knows his name. I was like, oh, was I was like, oh. I was like, this is going to end very bad. Like the look he gave at that cake. Yeah, that was another chair gripper for me. No, like, it literally oh. was. Yeah. Because <laughs> I do love the party scene. And I think the like the Midsummer's Night Dream aesthetic is fascinating, especially because the like characters that they're dressed up as like relate kind of to their roles in the story. I, this may seem like low hanging fruit, but I'm just going to say it because I think it's interesting. Like Barry's like dressed up as Puck, who's like the mischievous trickster of the story of Midsummer's Night Dream. And he's the one who like comes in and changes everything up, which is clearly his role in the movie. And like Farley is 
dressed as one of the people with like a donkey's head for like a body. And they're the ones whose life gets ruined by Puck. And it kind of goes on like that. Like uh, Felix is dressed up as the king of the fairies who, you know, is supposed to be like the main figurehead of the entire story and things like that. Like, I just found it so cool that just through costume design, like they didn't acknowledge any of that in the movie. It's, it's just like a, another layer. And I think it's so fun. Every time I think of like, y'all are mentioning the party scene, but I keep having the image of my head of Oliver wakes up and he's in a robe and he's walking through the estate and he's, I just see like the shot of him on the balcony looking over all of the salt burn and everyone is in a panic looking for Felix. Where's Felix? And that him just standing on the balcony, not doing anything is so chilling and scary. I love the party scene. I, I think like one of my favorite moments of the movie is when Sir James is like, Oh, I could finally wear my coat of armor. And then there's just like a shot of him like, with a whole metal like, knight's outfit on. He finally got to do what he wanted. I don't know. I also really like that shot um, of Barry in the rope. It reminds me of the painting, The Garden of Earthly Delights, because you like see this big green field and then there's just all this shit everywhere, like from the party. And I feel like so much of this of this film is desire and like the the yearning to be with people who are more. And um, I just think that painting is is beautiful. But I also feel like any shot in this film is like a painting. Like I could pause it and I'm like, wow, it's so pretty. Um, but yeah. <laughs> I um. Ashley. You mentioned how funny it was that he like shows up in his suit of armor. I feel like we haven't really touched on the humor much. Like I think yeah. this was a very funny movie. Like Oh yeah. There were definitely just as many laughs as there were like gasps of horror when I was <laughs> watching it in the theater. And I think that blend was so uniquely special. Like there are a lot of movies that do dark comedy, a lot of movies that do, you know, dry satire. But I thought this one had so many different genres going for it that like you needed that release of a laugh like <laughs> you you needed mm-hmm. to laugh after Barry was sitting in front of his parents and like you were extremely uncomfortable I think the releases were planned really well throughout the mm-hmm. movie yeah one of my favorite quotes from the movie is Elspeth and she's outside in the garden talking with everybody and she was like I was a lesbian for a while, you know, but it was all a bit too wet for me in the end. Men are so lovely and dry. Like, I remember she said that yeah. so quickly. And I was just like, like, it was so out of pocket. But it was like, like you're saying, Kyle, it was like one of those like, like almost like sweet releases where you can just like kind of get out of yourself and be like, oh, yeah, that's funny. You know, and like, instead of having to like, really analyze and just like what the fuck am I watching you can have like that moment of like freedom to just do a little hee hee yeah that's what I really liked uh, Farley's character because all of his little quick digs at Oliver like they were super funny like all of them were funny like obviously it's very important to both the characters their dynamic but like um, when um, Oliver's tux was too big Mm. and he was like oh like you're almost fitting in like you're almost there 
I thought that was like hilarious. Obviously, it's like a power dynamic thing, but it was such a good scene. Also, yeah. this is so off topic from humor, but that that interaction is so well written because Farley is American and he calls it a tux. But later on at the house, um, Felix calls it a dinner jacket because that's what they call it in England. So the Ooh. fact that Emerald Fennell wrote just that one word change was like so crazy to me, but that's off topic. But like, I just love Farley's little humor. Yeah. So smart. You mentioning Farley kind of made me think about all of the characters individually. And usually when I watch a film, I like to be like, this was my favorite character or this is my favorite character. But with this ensemble of a cast, I find it very hard to pick which one is like my ultimate favorite because Farley was funny, but also I'm going to be so honest. I was so like annoyed at him and like, during the film, I got a little bit mad, I think, because I was sympathizing with Oliver a little bit too much. And so I was like, why are you picking on him? Like, let him live. And obviously, he was just reading him at a level that I didn't know at the time. But even with something like someone like Venetia, like, I find Venetia so cool and so freeing. But then she also, like, really reads Oliver at the end before her tragic death. So, I don't know, do you guys have any thoughts about, like, the characters individually? I know we've been talking about, like, the aesthetics of the film and kind of what the characters do, but how do you feel about who the characters are? I think the addition of, so when Oliver comes to Saltburn, he walks in, he's introduced to the family, and then this random woman, poor dear Pamela, and the fact that they wrote poor dear Pamela for, like, what, three scenes? But the reason why she was added was kind of like for Oliver, like that that's going to be you, you know, like you're going to be disregarded. Mm-hmm. And then the fact that like, oh, it's like they just they don't they don't want her, but she's still there. Like, oh, poor dear Pamela. She's running away from the Russian mafia and she's hiding out in Saltburn. <laughs> like, what? That was just like completely disregarded. And then they're like, oh, like we're sick of her. And then she gets killed. They just kick her out like garbage. Yeah. But differently is that um, eventually the mom wanted Pamela gone. She did not want Oliver to leave, like, at all. That is true. Which I think was, like, very different. Something happened there. Rosemary Pike, as the mom, was a very interesting character Mm -hmm. to me. Like, the whole dynamic with her and Oliver, especially at the end. But the difference between Pamela and Oliver getting accepted with the mom was, like, very interesting. Because regardless, the dad, James, Sir James, he wanted them both gone, like, the Mm -hmm. whole time. He puts on this happy face, but he wanted them out. I think because he saw that the way that they were treating Pamela, and that was why he was, like, buttering up to her so much. Because she likes having that attention. I don't know. I think he, I don't know how, I didn't write the movie. (laughs) I don't know how he did it, but he found a way to really get on Elspeth's good side like for example when they discover that Felix was murdered and Elspeth's way of grieving is by completely ignoring the subject um and Farley and Venetia are both independently rightfully freaking the fuck out he's just like going along with her you know like oh did you like your birthday cake yeah it was lovely thank you so much I don't really like chocolate but you know like being able to like like she felt comfortable with him Mm -hmm. yeah 
he, he's like a chameleon. Like he can kind of change for the people around him to get what he wants. And I think that's what makes Oliver so interesting because he's so unassuming. And then he takes off his shirt and crazy things happen. <laughs> um, <laughs> Period. <laughs> Every it's almost, I feel like like anytime a crazy thing happens, he doesn't have a shirt. Because in the garden with Venetia, he takes off his robe or his blanket or whatever to give to her because she's cold, and that's kind of what starts the whole thing. Bathtub, no shirt. When he rips the thing out of Rosamond Pike, he starts to unbutton his shirt. Like when he's with Farley. Uh, oh, also like when he like punches the glass. Okay, Barry Keoghan takes off a shirt and he becomes batshit insane. Um, <laughs> new logline. That and I, is the secret to making a movie. That's the secret to making a movie. You get Barry Keoghan, <laughs> you make him take off his shirt, and you make him run around insane. That's all you have to do. None of this was scripted. Yeah, you, they just put him on set. They just put him on set. Because yeah. he took off his shirt and he just lost it immediately. Batshit crazy. Because he goes from like, he goes from like, oh, I'm just, I'm Barry. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm just, just a boy. And then... <laughs> Yeah, and it takes it off. And it's like, yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> How funny! <laughs> I didn't even catch that. That is a good catch, though, and that kind of really goes into Kyle's thing about the body use in this movie. Like, the body was very important, and as we can see, mm-hmm. especially Oliver's, especially Barry's. The ending scene. I literally could not watch that scene and be like, this man doesn't look exactly like a Greek sculpture. Like, I don't know. That's a, the ending scene is crazy. Definitely one of my favorite parts of the movie. And I guess his to get- dance? Yes, his dancey dance. To, yeah. <laughs> to, to go back to the character and relate it to that, I think like for a moment, I will acknowledge the, some of the criticism I've heard about like the end being, you know, contrived and like it doesn't do the rest of the movie justice. But I think like this movie was made to be like fun to watch. And I think Oliver's character is like wraps up neatly with like a little bow on it because there was no other way. Like he completely snaps. You know what I mean? Like the last scene is him getting everything he wanted. And I feel like in order for him to get everything he wanted in such a short movie, in such a short runtime, the ending did have to be a little contrived. Like, it's okay. It's okay if, like, I don't know, he got his his perfect little revenge. I enjoyed it. Okay, big question. Not really big, but kind of big. Do you think Duncan stayed as the butler when Oliver took over? Absolutely Or do you think not. Duncan left? Or do you think, you think Oliver fired Duncan? Like, do you think he's still just kind of hanging around? Because Duncan didn't like him. They did not no. get along. So... I think he probably, I think he probably killed Duncan too, if I'm being honest. Oh. <laughs> he has like a small pebble. Like, yeah, not a small pebble. <laughs> the, yeah. Rocks. The, yeah, rocks. the rocks. That mm-hmm. was insane. When he's dancing around that living room with nothing on and it just shows the little marionette toy and every single rock, like they're trophies. That yeah. was, I was gagged. I yeah. could not. Uh, he he really swam to the bottom of that dirty ass ocean and or pond and was like swimming around with I, with goggles on, probably looking for each rock. That is insane. That is insane behavior. I can't. It's funny though because now thinking back, that scene 
where they're kind of like ditching the final dance at Oxford when Oliver and Felix are by that little stream on the bridge and he misses. And then we find out that his dad isn't dead. Yeah. Like, because <gasps> the rock doesn't make it into the water. Mm-hmm. Isn't that crazy? I didn't even catch yeah. that. That's crazy. <laughs> it's like foreshadowed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's insane. I love discoveries. <laughs> <laughs> I love learning. Well, it seems like we're kind of talking about the end of the film and getting to a close. So before we wrap up, are there any topics that you guys just really, really want to discuss? I would love to hear your guys' thoughts on like the discourse of like Emerald Fennel's like personal background. Because again, <laughs> I know this is a pro Saltburn podcast. I am pro Saltburn, but like what I've heard surrounding it is that like she actually grew up going to Saltburn. Like she is a Saltburn kid, um, at, which is no way. a very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Her so, dad's like some super famous uh, jewelry designer. Like he is like their whole family. The Fennels are like buku bucks, like rolling in cash. Like, yeah, there was, oh, there's like some connection to <gasps> she's Felix, a playwright. Or something. <laughs> Anyways. But yeah, I'm just curious as to like, how you guys think because when you view the film from like that lens of like it is a rich person writing this story I feel like it it complicates things to another degree so I'm I'm curious to hear your guys's thoughts well remember the theme I saw saw on Twitter about it's like the rich people should be scared of middle class people trying to move up I think Mm -hmm. that really it becomes a lot more apparent if you look at it through Emerald's lens of how she grew up and her family's uh, wealth background. Yeah. See, I didn't even know that. I'm like actually actively Googling and Wikipediaing Emerald Fennell <laughs> because I had I had no idea. I was like, oh, there's just this like girl. She was Midge in Barbie. Like she's a promising young woman. So awesome. And now you're saying that she's she's like, wow. I also did not know this. I think it definitely is an important thing to discuss, but also I think even though she does, Emerald Fennell comes from an affluent family, there are people that are not self-aware and they just live their life. They don't do anything with their success. Like they don't, they just become Nepo babies and like they live their (laughs) cute little rich lives. But I think because she was able to, like, yes, I come from money. But here's a fun little story about having money. (laughs) And was able to write and direct such a pretty film about it, I think is really cool. Like, if you're going to have or come from that background, I think what she did with it was pretty dope. But I don't come from money, so I'm going to go on a deep dive now on Emerald Fennell. Um, instead of just watch her YouTube interviews. <laughs> you bringing up interviews led me to another question that I really wanted to talk about. If if yeah, you guys yeah, are... Okay. Um, I think the marketing surrounding this movie was fascinating, especially the way they handled interviews, especially the way Jacob Elordi and Barry Keegan acted in those interviews. I don't know if you guys saw, but like, they were kind of doing a whole the like coffee cup. Yep. Will they? Won't they? Like, I'm sure their agents were like, act, act a little flirty, you know, like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, 
did you guys feel like the marketing added to it? Did you guys watch these interviews? I don't know. So I definitely watched the interviews. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I thought they were so cute. Okay. I thought that the advertising for this film did a really good job because you just think like, oh my God, they're going to be like two little best friends and they're going to have a cute little time in Saltburn. And, you know, you watch the trailer and it's made out to be this beautiful thing. Because like, like I said in the beginning of this podcast, like I came into it full blind. Hmm. And so then after watching the movie and then seeing like those little like videos, like asking like questions or whatever, I was just like, you're really making this out to be a cute little fluffy film. <laughs> you lie. You are a liar. But yeah, I don't know. I love Jacob Elordi. They slayed. They both slayed. Brandon, did you see any of the interviews? Um, yeah, but just like the recent one that just came out when it was Jacob and Barry, like they were asking each other questions off, off cards. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember like who it was through, but then like they really played into the the flirty thing because um Jacob was like, I actually recommended you for this role to Emerald. She wanted <laughs> Timothy, but I was like, No, you gotta get Barry. <laughs> like I was like, Okay, so like you wanna be around your little your little boyfriend Barry, don't you, Jacob? Like, what's going on here? Like <laughs> So they are playing into the the flirty thing a lot, but I think that is, I think it's good for the characters and I think it really works. So I liked it. I like the way it's going. (laughs) I think so much of the buzz of this film too came from TikTok and people making funny videos of like me before Saltburn, me after Saltburn. Alex, you made a TikTok. You made a TikTok after Saltburn. I did. I'm sorry. I'm a part of the system. What can I say? Um, And so, yeah, that's like what drew a lot of people to see it. Yeah, obviously, like this movie does have its flaws and we could make probably a whole separate podcast on like our critiques of it. But I, I really enjoyed it. And I, I hope you guys too. And yeah, and I guess to, to close us off, we have two, two questions for y'all. The first one, on a scale of one to five bathtubs, how would you rank this film? And also, if Farley forced you to sing karaoke in front of the Cattons and the Henrys, what song would you choose? So personally, I would rate it four bathtubs out of five. And if Farley forced me to sing karaoke, if I'm really drunk, I would pick... Maybe Bust Your Windows by Jasmine Sullivan. I think that could be fun. I would give this movie a 4.5 bathtubs out of 5. I think it's just like so much fun. I, so many people come up to me and they're like, I didn't like this about it. And I'm like, well, but did you have fun? And I don't know. This movie was like so much fun. And then if I had to sing a song, I think like the the disco-esque themes of Murder on the Dance Floor are really getting to me. I'm thinking something ABBA. I think <gasps> Dancing Queen would be a really funny one to do. So I think Dancing Queen would be the song that I would choose. Love it. Um, let's see. I think I'd give it four bathtubs out of five for the same reasons. It's like, it's a fun movie, but there, it does have its issues. And I think I said this like right at the beginning of the podcast, I found the end just like slightly predictable. So four out of five, but um, let's see for the karaoke song. I think one that I would do if Farley asked me at that same party and the vibes of the party, it would probably be like "Call Me" by Blondie. 
<gasps> I think that would really work in like the scenario. Um, I would rate this movie a four and a half bathtubs out of five. And if Farley asked me, I would do I Will Survive. I think if I was drunk. That's such a good one. That's perfect. That's yeah. perfect. That's the perfect song. So maybe Ollie can't get me. Um, <laughs> um, but I just wanted to say thank you, Kyle and Brandon, for joining Ashley and I on this episode. Um, thank you to Emma Fennell for being a freak. Um <laughs> This episode of Talking Pictures was edited by and executive produced by Eli Kupitz. Thank you so much for listening. And cut. <laughs>